0: Thanks, Michelle. Uh, good morning. I'm Lonnie Buller, if I haven't met you before. And it's great to be worshiping together with you this morning. Uh, I'm going to start out just a little thought for you. Uh, how do you prepare when you travel? So this, this might be a little nostalgia for some of you, but when I was a kid, uh, my grandparents lived about four hours away up in, in, North, in South Dakota at Freeman. And we'd drive up there about three or four times a year. And, it was the 70s, and we were frugal, so we packed up. Mom would pack up a bag of goodies and snacks and make sandwiches, and, and I mean, it was full for all of us, and it would make the whole trip. And we'd have books of games to do, uh, word games, number games, whatever, in the car. And Dad, he was the master packer. He would pack the trunk, and there was not an inch to spare. Everything was, was packed in as tight as could be. And we would be off on our journey. And, and just a little trivia, we before you left, you fold down the license plate and what? Gas, you fill up with gas right behind that license plate. That, that takes me back. Um, so when we were parents and our kids were going to grandma's house, it was a much different trip. So we were in the minivan. We'd fold down DVD players for them to watch and us to listen to in the front seat. Uh, We would uh, load up all the 20 cup holders in the the van with bug juice and there'd be quick shops, stops along the way anytime we needed to, to get rid of that bug juice. And it was was just different. We had ample provisions. So today we're going to look back and see what traveling was like in 1446 BC. It was a little bit different back then. So this was a time when the children of Israel were exiting Egypt. God had, as we learned last week, Moses got the call from God to lead his people out of captivity after hundreds of years there. So after their Egyptian masters had faced plagues from God, difficult time for them, and the final one resulted in the death of Pharaoh's son, and Pharaoh said, go, go. And he led them out, and, and Moses led them out, so... At the dark of night, um, before the dough had risen and the bread, and they, they loaded their, their bowls and their clothes on their backs. They got their herds and their flocks gather. And also, <coughs> excuse me, um, God had given uh, the Egyptians, or had given the Israelites, favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and, and they had given them gold and silver. And so they took all this gold and silver with them as well. As they headed out, and there were six hundred thousand men, not counting the children, but men on foot. So imagine a journey like that, a little different than driving off in the car. Six hundred thousand. So and by the way, along with them they took the bones of Joseph. If you remember, Joseph had been brought into captivity or brought in as a captive, but had become a king and and just here's a word from Exodus 13 verse 19 Moses took the bones of Joseph with him for Joseph had made us the sons of Israel solemnly swear saying God surely will visit you and and you shall carry my bones with you up from here so this was hundreds of years before when he was king that that he knew that God was going to take go lead them out of Egypt someday and prepare a place for them, and he wanted the assurance that they would that to prove God's faithfulness they would take him with him so in this series we've been looking back and at several times that God has led people into the wilderness, and I just want to do a quick recap of, of what we've seen so far. We saw Adam and Eve and Cain they were led into the wilderness as a result of original sin or, or original sin or disobedience to God. For Noah, it was nothing at all that he did. It was the state of the world that took him into a time in the wilderness. For Abraham, it was God testing him. God had a specific purpose for him there. But Joseph, again, this was a victim of someone else's sin that took him into the wilderness. And Moses, Moses was in the, was in the wilderness the first time here get in God's direction because he misunderstood the plan the first time and he came back around to God bringing him back to where we are today and ready to use him. So we're going to take a look at probably the most popular and detailed stories in our wilderness adventure. I don't think the children of Israelites thought of it as an adventure, even though there were many adventures for them along the way. Their journey in the wilderness is told in the last half of, Levi- of Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So we're going to get started here. Just got a little ways to go. So I'm just kidding. We're going to just hit a few highlights along the way just to show the demonstration of what God did there. Um, Tim has made a point in this whole series to say we want to look at the Old Testament from a New Testament perspective. And so I want to do that too. As we look at this... One of the key points, and spoiler alert, is knowing the end is the key point today. When we know the end, we, we know the destination. We can keep our eyes focused on that. God made a promise, and God's going to fulfill the promise. And that's, that's that. So let's start with the very first question. Why did the Israelites enter the wilderness? Well, it was God leading them there. God was delivering them from the Egyptians. He was fulfilling a promise that he had made years ago to to generations before that he would lead them out. God appeared to Moses in the burning bush on Horeb, the mountain of God. And how many of us would wait to, or would, would expect God to appear like that? We We would welcome it, or would we? Would we argue with him? Would we not want to listen or be scared to death? I don't know. But as a reminder from last week, we're going to look back and see God's call that he gave to Moses. We're going to be in Exodus 3, verse 7. And there he says, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey to a place of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So God laid it all up front. He told him exactly what his plan was and what he was going to do, and how did Moses respond? Well, maybe the way I would. If you argued with him, said, who am I to do this? He said, when they ask who sent me, who should I say who sent me? And he said, they just, the people simply won't believe me. Well, God had an answer for Moses because he knew that he would respond in doubt. He said, excuse me, in verse 12, and he said, certainly I will be with you, and, you shall, and this shall be a sign for you, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Keep that in mind. to store that little trivia for later. We'll come back to that. When, When Moses said, who shall I say sent me? God said to Moses, who am I? He said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And along the way, through the rest of the chapter and in, in chapter 4, Moses was given demonstrations of the way that God will use him in throwing his staff down and, and turning it into snake, turning it back into a staff. And God was prepared. And, and I want to give you just a glimpse in verse 17. He said, you shall take in your hand this staff with, with which you shall perform signs. That would be with him along the journey the whole way. So, oh, one more thing. I even forgot this last time. It was the last argument, the biggest debate for for Moses and why he shouldn't be the guy. He said in verse 10 Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either recently nor in past times, since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Man, can I relate? The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who can make him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and even I will be with you with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. So when God calls us, God equips us. He doesn't leave us hanging. and He definitely doesn't leave us to our own because he, is, he has provided for us what we need. getting behind here sorry so he took the staff in hand and and there's going to be many more many more to this much more to the story but we're going to jump ahead now to right after pharaoh let the people go and they first walked out into the wilderness god was not surprised by their first reaction we don't surprise god he knows us well and moses wasn't the only one to doubt in exodus 13 verse 17 we see this little verse, excuse me, we see this verse that says, Now Pharaoh had let the people go. God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said, the people might change their minds, and when they see war, want to return to Egypt. So Moses wasn't the only one. He knew that the people of Israel would doubt. And then he leads them on, he leads them through the wilderness or through the Red Sea. He parts it wide open and they march through and then it closes in on the Egyptian army. And they were safe. They had made it. And they saw that wondrous sign and they rejoiced. And chapter 15 is like this incredible worship service. They were probably singing as loud as you guys were this morning. It was great to hear your voices singing. Oh, praise the name. That was them. Let me read just a few verses out of this chapter. I'm just going to jump around a little bit. But just the way they declared to God I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Verse 2 The Lord is my strength and my song, he has become my salvation. In verse 6 Your right hand, O Lord, is majestic in power. In verse 11 Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in praise, working wonders. 13, in your loving kindness you have led the people whom you have redeemed and in verse 18, the Lord shall reign forever and ever and I just imagine it was probably a fantastic time, it says in there there was singing, there was dancing, there was tambourines and they were just celebrating what God had just done and that excitement lasted about three days that that was the end of it So what we see next as they move on in verse 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness to Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter, therefore it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we drink? what shall we drink? He, he provides for them. He leads them out and yet they wonder how are they going to get what they need? Well, let's go on and read the answer to that. Then, then he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree and he threw the tree into the water and the water became sweet. They had to trust God to provide. It's it's one thing to know that God is going to provide, it's another thing to take that step and believe that God is providing. So, from there, just, just a little story here in verse 27. Then they came to Ilium where they were, there were 12 springs of water and 70 date palms, and they camped there beside the water. They wondered what, how will God provide? And then he ends up giving them an oasis in the wilderness to to camp out at and just be comfortable. They stayed there for a little while, and then they continued to move on. So we're going to jump to uh, Exodus 16 now. In verse 1, I'm sure I'm going right here. Then they set out from Iliam, and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Iliam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The sons of Israel said to them, Would we that had died in the Lord's hands in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." So again, they were in need and they wondered, how in the world will we get what we need? It was just typical. And then the first thought is, man, the nerve of them. They keep seeing God providing. And then I have to stop and think and, and honestly look in a mirror and say, How many times does God provide and I just return to him grumbling? God is faithful though. He's he's not surprised by by this result from us. God knows our hearts. He knows our weaknesses and our fears and our shortcomings. But God does not abandon us. He is always with us. So God hears them when they say it. Even, Even if it's a bad attitude, God still hears them here. And in verse 11, God says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the grumblings of the sons of Israel speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it came about in the evening that the quail came up and covered the camp. In the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the layer of dew evaporated, Behold, on the surface of the wilderness there was a fine, flake-like thing, fine as the frost on the ground. And when the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. So they said, We could have been eating meat and, and bread in Egypt in captivity. And yet, right here, God provides exactly what they wished for. It goes on to describe that the bread was uh, like coriander seed with flavor of honey. It just must have been a sweet, sweet bread. Probably, I imagine, it's some of the best they taste they had had. But God just goes over and above providing for, for them. But he also said, this is given to you, comes with the test. And in verse 19, let me find it here. Verse 19, Moses said to them, Let no man leave any of it until morning. But they did not listen to morning, and some, was, some left part of it until morning. But it had bred worms and become foul, and Moses was angry with them. They gathered it morning by morning, every man as much as he should eat. But, until the sun, but when the sun grew hot, it would melt. But now on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one, When the leader of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord meant. Tomorrow is a Sabbath, observance, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over put aside to be kept in the morning. So they put it aside until morning, as Moses had ordered, and it did not become foul, nor were there any worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is the Sabbath of the Lord. Today you will not find any in the field. So six days you shall gather, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. So God brought them into the wilderness to deliver them. Even when it seemed hopeless, he provided for them. For God was with them the whole time. We're going to read one more example in the wilderness of God providing here. And this comes in in chapter 17, verse 3, we'll start there. So, but the people thirsted there for water, and they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now? Have you brought us up from the Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And God said, Behold, I stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come, of it, come out of it, that the people may drink and Moses did so in delight to the elders of Israel. He named the place Massah and Meribah because of the, quarrel of the quarrel of the sons of Israel, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? So go back right there. It says, Behold, they stand with you there on the rock at Horeb. Remember Horeb? That was the place where the Moses uh, saw the burning bush. Remember the promise when he gave him, when he spoke to him from the burning bush that I will return you to this place. It's right there. He's already filled his promise. Sometimes they don't come right away. we got to wait. We've got to proceed. Maybe go through some tough times and doubts. But we get to the end and we find out God really did come through. So there are a lot more stories during this journey, as you know, if you've, if you've read this before or, or heard about it, of the way that God met them in the wilderness. God even instructed the Israelites how to build a tabernacle, and they created the Ark of the Covenant, that God could dwell in that place with them and live there, be a part of them. Day by day, he led them in a cloud, and by night, they led them with a pillar of fire, so they could visibly see God with them all the way along this. We're gonna to jump to the next question here and ask, what did the Israelites learn from God in the wilderness? <laughs> That's probably not fair, right? <laughs> That's probably not fair. They they learn things, they forget it. They learn it, forget it. Despite God's presence with them, they continually wandered away from God. It was praise God, grumble praise God, grumble. Don't want to say that described me last week, but it might have described me last week. It's so tempting to be around people and not be grumbling. Because we know we have the end to look to. We know the future. We know the result. We have God's spirit within us if we have chosen to follow God. And the people that don't, have no reason not to grumble. If you have not asked God to be Lord of your life, there are a lot of reasons to grumble because it really is a struggle for, to find hope. But God is here for us, and, and it's where we can keep coming back to. We're going to jump ahead a little bit here and, and go to Numbers 14. This is a time when God had bring, brought his children along the journey, a year and a half down the road, and brought them right up to the brink of going into the promised land. And he even said, you know, go, go ahead, send some spies out there and see this great land that I have given to you. And spies went in. Two of them came back and said, this is great. This is awesome. This is what God has promised for us. Let's go. Ten of them said, this, let me read this here: the land will devour its inhabitants. They made it hopeless. They didn't wanted to run away. And in Numbers 14, let's read this together. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept at the night. All the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt or that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Again, just giving up hope. Looking at the circumstances, looking at it from man's point of view and what we can do on our own, it did look hopeless. The people there were huge. They were going to conquer them. God, who had made the promise to deliver them to this land, had enough. This was the end for him. He decided he was going to wipe out every one of them with pestilence and disease. He made the promise earlier, if you trust me, I will keep that from you. And they clearly weren't trusting him. At this point though Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua got on the knees and just begged of God don't do this. Don't wipe them out. Don't don't make a spectacle here at this spot for the Egyptians to look at and say hey see we treated you better than that. Your God didn't pr- protect you. So God changed his mind. He, he said I, I will wait. I won't pass that judgment on you right now. So let's jump here to verse 27. The right place. How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who are grumbling against me? I have heard their complaints of the sons of Israel which they are making against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken to in my hearing, so I will surely do to you. Your corpses will fall in the wilderness, even all your numbered men according to your complete number from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Surely you will not come into the land which I swore to settle you, except Caleb the son of Jephun and Joshua the son of Nun. Your children, however, whom you said would become prey, I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. That's a harsh lesson. So, this was the beginning of about a 38-year journey as the older generation all never had a chance to exit the wilderness. They stayed there, and they died there. But God did provide for the next generation a path into the land of promise. So what can we learn from the children of Israel and their traveling through the wilderness? I think the first one is most obvious. God is faithful to deliver on his promises. In the very end, God led the faithful into the promised land. Joshua was the newly appointed leader and God carried Caleb and Joshua over the finish line because of their faithfulness. When they went and spied in the land of Egypt, they came back and said, this land is ours, God has given it to us, let's go. What the Israelites had back then from God, and they didn't literally have this book, but they had about this much of a message from God at the time. Today, we have the privilege of having this much. We have the truth of his word, but even more than that, We have the person of Jesus Christ that God has sent for us to be with us. He spent time here, and he suffered and died and was rose again for each of us. So we have that benefit. We have seen the result of God's promise to his people. So we can delight in his truth. We can delight in his word. And just in a conversation a a week ago, Lloyd mentioned that as he was reading through Numbers and Deuteronomy, he saw over and over again the words, beware, as Moses was teaching, beware, don't don't forget, and remember. Beware, remember, don't forget. I think that's just a message for us. It was for the children of Israel and it is for us today. Beware of what's around us and remember the word of God. Don't forget the promise and the truth that God has given us. So, and it's not just history that we have to fall back on. We can look today at the people who are faithfully following Jesus and learn from them. We can walk with them. Come up beside someone that, whose life demonstrates the fruit of God's Spirit and walk with them, ask them, learn from them. How has God been faithful? How has God proven himself? And we can grow in that way. Secondly, Let's keep our eyes on God, not on our circumstances. And I know for a fact that's incredibly hard because the fo- circumstances are right here. And sometimes we let the God be somewhere way out there. And so the way to change that is to spend time and bring God close to us, keep him in sight. Scriptures assure us that we're going to have struggles. But it assures us that God is with us in the struggle. The question is, where is my focus when I begin my day? Where is my focus when I know that hard times are coming? Or especially if something blindsides me. I mean, sometimes it just nails us. We don't know what to expect. God has given us assurance. Many of you probably know Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. In there, he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. He doesn't say, yea, when you take me around to the valley of the shadow of death. He says, I walk through you with, you walk through it with me. And we just need to rely on that. We need to trust that God is there for us in the midst of it. I look over and, and ask, have I made Jesus my Lord? Or am I just looking for a genie to improve my circumstances? Do so I just want to snap somebody to snap their fingers and fix everything? Is it the world or the flesh that I'm pursuing, or is it things above that is my heart's pursuit? And is my desire, are my motives ultimately to serve me, or are they serve God and his kingdom? If you're in the room and you're, you are a follower of Jesus, you have the benefit of having the Holy Spirit in us. This is a New Testament perspective of this story. As the Israelites came out of Egypt, they had a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that they could visibly see. And that's just a little representation of God, what God would provide through His Spirit to live within us. Eric shared last week that God has given us this prescriptive will, his word, and he has given it all of it to us. And we can study it, and we can delight in it, and we can let the Holy Spirit place it into our hearts in a way that is tangible and transforming. That way we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. There's a a passage many of you might know in Ephesians 6, um, it's often called the armor of God, but just it makes a lot of great reference to being transformed and standing against the world because we're going to face obstacles. We're going to face things that get in the way. And so we're going to, I want to read through this just as a reminder as, of, of the strength of looking to God can give us and not being dependent on our own strength to get through it. Verse 10 in Ephesians 6 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the, of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, and against the forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded up your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for the saints. Bring your prayers and petitions to God for the saints. God has a promise for us in the end. He has a promise for those who are faithful and put their trust in him. Not all the things satisfy our flesh. It's not the riches and the trappings of the world. It's knowing Jesus, knowing him and walking with him each day. Uh, C.S. Lewis has a quote in Mere Christianity, Mere Christianity, And it says, if I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that doesn't prove that this universe is a fraud. It's probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only arouse it to suggest a real thing. There is a real thing, and it's God. If we have a hole in our heart, that's for God to fill. Not things of this world, It's not our flesh, because it won't satisfy, never will. It'll always leave us short. But God satisfies. So dig in, look to him, and maybe it's just confusing. Maybe it's just, I don't understand God. I look to this, it doesn't make sense. Don't give up. Come to him in prayer, and God says he will always... Answer those who come to him. Seek him out, God. He will be there for us. Just as he was in, in in the wilderness for the Egyptians or for the Israelites, God will be there for each one of us as we go through our travel and this journey to the end. Let's pray. God, we thank you for all you have provided. You've demonstrated over and over We see in your word, and we see today the ways you give, the way you meet every need. God, you don't put us in a situation that you won't provide for, and so we just come to you, and we trust you. We look to you for our strength. We know we can't do it on our own, but we just gather around as a church family and individually, and we just seek you and ask you to be our leader and our guide. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.